Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the 40 Athletes Live podcast, along with my co-host Jimmy Huber. Jimmy, uh, every episode we bring on guests that have amazing stories, either they've written them or they share them. And today's author is Steve Yurchik, who, by the way, wrote the book Swing Away Stand, a children's book on using baseball to develop resilience. Now, if that doesn't scream 40 Athletes material, I don't know what does. Yeah, and I, I got excited when I, I heard about swing away stands. I thought it was Stan Musial, but then well, then I got yeah. the book and I realized it wasn't Stan Musial. I started reading it, read it to my eight year old and my five year old laying in bed at night, and uh, they got into the story. So uh, I'm excited to discuss it today. Yeah, my eight year I uh, let my eight year old nephew borrow the the book that Steve uh, sent me. And my, my brother-in-law said that my nephew stayed up till 1045 one night whenever he got it because he couldn't put it down. I was like, well, hey, you know what? That's a good book if you can't put it down. So uh, Steve is also a former college baseball player, uh, current high school baseball coach as well. So uh, I'm excited to bring him on today. And Steve, good morning to you. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? How are you guys doing? Good, good. How, how are things in uh, College Station, A&M country? You guys just beat Alabama a couple of weeks ago. So, I mean, things are buzzing around college station i'm sure yeah i wasn't uh, i guess the good thing is that i wasn't exactly there that weekend because i think it was just uh you know the the roof blew off that place and uh it's exciting i think you know as a fair and honest uh college football fan i didn't expect that you know you always root for your team but you know you got the big bad wolf in town and he's kind of you know saban's kind of been the big dog at the bowl and rightfully so so uh we got that win and i think it's uh hopefully that'll propel us uh, well, I was actually saving. That was the first time I think an assistant has beat him, right? I think that's, that's right. Fisher beat him. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got so many disciples out there uh, around the SEC and ACC and Big 12, uh, Pac 12, I'm sure. So uh, hopefully that'll be a trend. You know, he's kind of been everybody's uh, boogeyman. So hopefully that'll uh, be something to help us going forward, I hope. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, and Steve, let's get right into it. Why did you write Swing Away Stand in the first place? What was the motivation behind it? What was the things that you felt like were people could learn from Swing Away Stand? Um, I guess I kind of had the idea for a while. It was kind of one of those things where, um, you know, it's kind of that idea in the back of your head. Can I write uh, a book? But in general, you know, I'm not, you know, J.K. Rowling or anything like that. A children's book might have been more up my alley. So it was kind of something I thought I could do. You know, you kind of look around and see. Um, you know, you see celebrities do it sometimes or, or athletes. And I, I felt like that was something I could have done, but I didn't, you know, I never wrote, um, you know, creative writing. I was, when I was in school, it was mostly technical, you know, so it was citing sources and, and bullet points and all of this stuff. So um, I had the idea in graduate school um, and to write a children's book. And I met with a professor there, uh, Dr. James Francis, who I emailed and he was kind enough. Shout out Dr. James Francis. He met with me um, in his office and he was a creative writer uh, for the English department. And uh, he gave me great notes and and I asked him, I was like, you know, I don't know, you know, what I'm really getting into, you know, how do I get started on this? He was like, you know, to be honest, just sit down at the computer and just start typing and whatever comes out, kind of start from there. Maybe you'll add before it, maybe you'll add after it. And it worked. Um, so, but, you know, back to your question, what are you going to write about? You know, um, what were my experiences? And I was like, well, I, you know, a lot of baseball memories and I went through youth sports and it was one of those things where, uh, ups and downs and there's ebbs and flows of that type of stuff, the good and the bad. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know, I could probably 
string a couple things together and, you know, what's the point of it going to be? And I was like, well, you know, there's a lot of uh, trial and error in sports. And I was kind of a little guy in Little League. Uh, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. So that's kind of the message I wanted to get towards the end of it. I was like, you know, if a kid can read this and see, you know, hey, uh, I'm struggling a little bit maybe uh, to compete or maybe it's a mental thing. Um, sometimes you feel like you're on an island when you're a little kid. You don't really have that much experience yet. So my kind of point, I guess, was if I could put a little bit together in a book and a kid reads it and he, it keeps him from quitting, uh, then, you know, that was a victory for me. I think one thing you mentioned too, Steve, is like, you know, sometimes you see individuals that, you know, they might be smaller. They might be, you know, not as big as others when they're competing. Right. When they're young. And I tell a lot of times parents and even kids, sometimes there's that maturation age and there's chronological age. Some right. kids haven't matured yet. Right. Right. And they're maybe behind and to try to encourage them not to give up, not to quit. Is that something you've experienced? Like you're talking about growing up where maybe you're a little behind, maybe maturation, you stayed with it. Yeah, you know, I think uh, saying that I was behind was probably the nice way of putting it. Um, I had this conversation with my dad the other day, and I uh, and I was a middle infielder, so I was, you know, um, I was a smaller guy, and I kind of fit there. Um, so, you know, I struggled physically because I was a little bit behind the curve size-wise. And, you know, sometimes the fences, when you get older past Little League, the fences, they're a little bit further. The bases are a little bit longer. The throw's a little bit harder. And, you know, I struggled a little bit. Um, and you look around, it's growing pasture and that type of thing and it seemed to kind of you know work out because you had to work a little bit harder uh and the bigger guy kind of was able to not i wouldn't say coast or anything like that but as a young age you kind of had to scrap for your position a little bit and you couldn't really cut any corners so it was one of those things what was like uh you know a short-term uh struggle for long-term gain you know as you get older you kind of realize those habits were developed because you had that experience as a kid um so yeah you know there are some times where you know you look around and be like man how am i going to compete you're six seven eight years old and then all of a sudden you got these traits uh maybe on your tool belt as time goes on um and it works out long term so yeah you're right there are some moments there where you're, you're kind of looking around and you're like uh you know it's got some big guys over here at, you know at seven eight years old everybody's big to you you know so um, it helped out a lot, I guess, being a little bit smaller. So um, maybe that was kind of try to tie that in a little bit as That's well. It's kind of like that saying where they say it's not the size of the dog in a fight, it's the size of fighting the dog, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, you know, you get that, um, they tell you that as a kid and it's, you know, you try to take it in stride, but um, it helped a lot. You know, I always, you know, everybody wanted to be a big home run hitter. And I was in the 90s and we all know the 90s in baseball, everybody was hitting 500 foot jacks. Juice um, up, right? I mean, so everybody, you know, you're playing wiffle ball in the backyard and you got the video games and stuff and everybody wants to hit home runs. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm David Eckstein over here uh, trying to play good defense and, and get on base. So uh, you just kind of get, uh, see what your role is and see where you fit. And uh, it works out eventually. That's the thing I say too, is you got to watch, I tell parents and coaches and even teachers, you got to watch what you say to kids because like our next door neighbor across the street, he's a, He's in the third grade. He's same grade my son's in. But we have a kindergartner, and he's a big kindergartner, right? He's right. he's like tall, like third graders, not. But sometimes the kid across the street, uh, he's he's shorter, and mm -hmm. sometimes people call him smaller, little, you like tiny, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. And his mom was saying about a week ago he was crying 
before he's going to sleep at night. He's like, mom, I want to be taller. I want to grow. And I'm just small. And, and, and I'll hear some people say comments about him being little or, or mm-hmm. like a little guy or whatever. And that gets into that mind where they start thinking about like, I'm little, I'm not as big. Right. So it's almost like watch what you say to individuals because they start to perceive that. And, and to your point, you know, kids hear more than you think sometimes. Um, and I'm not a parent, so I can't speak to that. But my niece has been around a lot the last two years. And it was kind of one of those where, you know, they're more perceptive sometimes than you think. And I got that a lot as well. You know, I had a lot of my friends were were, were bigger, taller, faster, stronger. Um, and I heard it and I was called it by, you know, um, just, you know, people say stuff. And it's I think sometimes it it can be a make or break moment. But I think parents are a great support when it comes to that. I'm sure the kid was upset like you talked about. But I mean, I had that talk with, with my dad, too, when I was younger. And sometimes I think every approach is different as a little kid. But I think with me, sometimes you get a little bit of a chip on your shoulder and you kind of it does feel like a me against the world sometimes. But sometimes that works. Um, so take it in stride, uh, you know, as from my standpoint, it's tough to be patient as a kid. A week feels like a year um, and a week now feels like an hour. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's tough. But, you know, I think uh, we all come from situations like that one way or another. But you're right. You're right, Jim. And Steve, you know, uh, every size has its advantage. Right. But everybody always mm-hmm. like looks up like big is like the best thing. That's not always the case. How can you help kids like, you know, maybe Jim's neighbor that maybe all the smaller side like how do you like help kids find what their advantage is and what, what's the advantage of being small, being quick, or, you know, you know, maybe not being the biggest guy. How can we help kids understand like, Hey, your size has an advantage. So to your point, I guess it depends on the sport, but I could speak to baseball and there is value in those guys. And you could see sometimes in major league baseball, even as adults where some teams uh, they invest heavy on big hitters and they kind of, have, uh, you know, holes in their offense or in their defense. Um, so you kind of have to, as a young age, what helped me was kind of, where's my value at? You know, I had tremendous um, opportunity to help develop my defense. You know, I was a littler guy and sometimes offense, you know, the back can feel heavy or the, the, the fence is a little too long. So if you understand at a young age that, you know, kind of understand what your value is, if you're a smaller guy or a bigger guy, um, you got to get in the lineup and, and show the coaching staff or uh, your teammates what your value is. Do you put the ball in play a lot? Or are you able to play good defense? And you have to kind of tailor your game to your size. You know, um, if you're a big four hole hitter, that's, you know, a big 10 year old who's already six foot, you're not teaching them how to bunt necessarily. You know, um, not that that isn't valuable because you should know how to bunt, but um Try to be and understand, because that was kind of my issue as well. You know, I was a little guy, but you're not going to tell me that I have to bunt every time and, and you know, work up the middle. So I wanted to, you know, try to swing for the fence sometimes, and it just it doesn't work like that. So to kind of realistically understand what helped me was where's my value at? Where can I contribute on the field, whether it's up the middle or, or if it's behind the plate or if it's a pitcher, um, even in the outfield? And I think that's a conversation that happens with yourself, a lot, you know, you kind of have to self-evaluate with the coaches and obviously your parents as well. Um, but believe it or not, you know, wherever you're going to fit in, you know, you look around in the sports world, there's room for those guys. Um, they, I think they used to go overlooked sometimes, but there's value, whether you're a small point guard or 
you look at the NFL, a lot of the running backs and these, these slot receivers, they're tiny guys, man, but they are quick and they're killer to a defense. Um, Trey Turner's the leadoff guy. Um, I think he's battling injuries now for the Dodgers. Look at Altuve. I mean, you know, you can make it work. You just kind of have to see where your value's at. Uh, take it from there. Shoot, Jace, I know you got some, but Turner hit three home runs last night, I think, didn't he? Yeah. That was, uh, uh, Michael, that was Chris, or Taylor. Michael Taylor, wasn't it? Or oh, Chris yeah. Taylor? It was Chris Taylor? Taylor yeah. It wasn't Turner? Yeah. I got I, I got no. I got I to read my uh, news feeds better, I guess. But still, Chris Taylor yeah. though is still a, a smaller guy. I mean, he's pretty slender, right? I mean, he has good bat right. speed though, you know. So it's a, you can still develop that kind of stuff, even yeah. if you're smaller, right? It's just a easily how to use, yeah, easily. I mean, um, and like we talked about earlier before we got started, you know, I grew up in the '90s and everybody was a monster. You know, most people were, but you know, there's value in those guys that put the ball in play. You know, I was from the Houston area, so Craig Biggio was kind of my guy. You know, he was scrappy full of pine tar head to toe he got hit by pitches and got on base and he knew his role right he knew he wasn't jeff bagwell and he wasn't um you know mark mcguire but he was top of the lineup he played hurt he played injured he hustled every play and the guy's an un you know unstoppable hall of famer and he's you know he's a, you know one of those mount rushmore astro guys um that you could put up there and everybody knows so you look around and, and you realize you know kind of try to see what um maybe your value is in comparison to what you see on TV. And it, it's there. If you look hard enough, I, I promise you it's there. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and Steve, that's a good point because like, I think a lot of times we don't give ourselves a chance to look hard enough or be patient enough, you know, because a lot of kids are quitting sports at, you know, 13 years old. And for boys, like that's before you even really get started or growing into your body, you know? So yeah. What uh, what encouragement, what are three things you would maybe give kids to encourage them to, hey, you know, if you love something, keep trying at it because you're going to grow and change between 13 and 18 so much. It's I think number one, which is maybe the toughest, is you got to try to be as patient as possible. Um, and I struggle with that even through high school and into my college years, because you kind of want everything nowadays. Everything needs to be instant, uh, instant gratification or instant results. And, you know, we probably struggle that with that as adults as well. Um, so you try to your best to be patient on um, your physical growth and your mental growth and um, even academic growth when you're trying to learn parts of the game or when you're dealing with stuff in school. Um, I guess another second one, it's, you know, it's, it's important to, I think, um, to, I guess, uh, put yourself in some variety, you know, multiple sports are, important to me, whether you're playing something in the backyard or you're playing uh, rec basketball or um, peewee football or that type of thing. Um, and you kind of figure out, you know, maybe this first sport wasn't for you. Maybe it's this other one. We hear about these stories all the time with athletes. Sometimes they didn't play until high school and it blows your mind. Like you're a professional now and you didn't even pick up a bat until 17. Now that's, you know, an outlier obviously, but um, uh the third one, I guess, um, I would say is that, you know, you're going to experience uh, failure and that's not something you can avoid. Um, and baseball, you know, we're talking about, you know, statistics with that type of thing. That's that's pretty much uh, an understatement when it comes to that sport, when you're talking about hitting and that type of thing. Um, and it's tough to deal with sometimes because, you, you know, you want to get on base every day. So try to be patient. Um as much as you can and, and play different sports, you know, play golf, uh, mix that in, play football, play basketball, 
And all obviously all that stuff's going to tie into your overall athleticism, moving your body in space and growing at that age. Everything's awkward a little bit. You know, you're trying to, you know, figure things out um, and play different sports that'll tie in and, and just do your best to uh, understand that failure is going to be there and try to work from that is the best I would say. It's Steve, I want to get into the book in a, in a second about the failure you talk about, but I do want to ask you this being a coach and you talk about playing different sports, multiple sports, and we're in society now. It's like, you got to play year round. If you don't play year round, you're going to get passed up. Somebody's going to pass you by. And, and Jason mentioned we have a burnout rate and we have yep. kids quitting sports at, you know, high percentage at the time of 13, 70%. So my question for you is, it can, can kids play seasonal? Can they play different sports? Do they have to play year round in this mentality. And if they don't, are they going to get passed up? I think they should play seasonal play wherever your sport is. If it's a baseball, if it's a spring game, or if it's basketball and it's more in the fall um, and it goes over the winter months and football is obviously in the fall. It helped me, uh, you know, when I played, you know, I played peewee football and, and, and I played basketball in junior high and all of those things tied in because, you know, there are different team sports and basketball. You're only dealing with five guys. Football, you're dealing with much more than that. Baseball, you're dealing with, you know, got nine on the field. Um, so I, you know, and you talked about burnout and I had to do some research in graduate school where Tommy John surgeries are at an all time high, you know, and that's a primary baseball injury. Um, and burnout is a thing. And I think the other thing that I imagine parents struggle with is, you know, you want to obviously do the best for your kid and you don't want them to kind of be passed up. But I don't think they're going to be passed up if you're developing all these other skill sets in different sports. And even if it's an individual sport, I think it's important because if you play tennis, it's just you. You can't rely on any teammates or golf. That score on the board is your score. It's not our score. So that's probably a, another different um, situation you're going to have to deal with uh, when you're as a player. So I would definitely prefer um, uh, if kids in this generation played multiple sports because burnout is a thing. And um, I think what helped was um, I'm always tuning into the podcasts like this or um, TV shows and they had specials. And they had one on the other day where they had a round table of all the greats and Gretzky was in there. They had Michael Jordan and, and so forth. And he mentioned, and they said, did you, did you play hockey around? He's like, no. He's like, when it was springtime, I put the stick down and it was baseball time. So if you're going to take advice from anybody, you know, I would probably listen to a guy like that. Um, and I've talked to high school football coaches and when they look for offensive linemen and they look for, they look for, you know, receivers, they recommend that those kids play track or, um, track and field, you know, offensive linemen, if they did the hammer throw, if they did shot put, these are all explosive moves. They're going to tie into your position or, you know, and I know A&M's running back. He runs track. He's like a hundred meters guy. Uh, a chain, I think is his name. So all of this ties in. So um, learn how to play other sports. It's going to help with whatever your primary sport is, I think. And then burnout's a thing. Kids probably just say, you know what? I got to pick up my glove again. I just put it down in the fall. Now the real season comes in the spring and, that fire, I think, for student athletes and even in the youth, it's really important um, to kind of keep that going. Because I saw it too. I had teammates drop in and drop out a lot as they went. And I think the ones that lasted the longest were kids that, you know, were football and basketball. Whenever that sport came, man, you were hungry. 
And um, I look forward to that as well. So, yeah, you're right. You're right, Jim. I want to, so, again, Swing Away Stan, right? People haven't seen it, the book. But reading this book, uh, it made me think a lot about the issues that athletes, young athletes go through. And it kind of, like, Stan, he was a confident young kid, right? Played baseball. Right. He was one of the best players in Little League in that area. And then all of a sudden he gets intimidated, gets in that first game, and he strikes out, like, I think it was, like, two or three times, and he – he pitches and he gives up like the winning run and his confidence, he loses it, right? Yep. So my question for you is this, like athletes you see at times where they feel like they, they got it. They're, they're, they're like top of the game and they believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. And then something happens on the field, on the court, whatever, and they lose it. They lose right. themselves and they don't even want to go out, out like standing and want to go up to bat again, right? Nervous to swing. Right. What are you doing in those situations with athletes when you hear it a lot from parents and people say, my kid's not confident anymore, or I don't feel like I can hit a baseball. I can't do this anymore. What do you do to help them build that confidence back in themselves? Sometimes it depends on the individual, I think. Um, I think, and I had this discussion with teammates and and coaches of mine. And um, for me, you know, if you're struggling a little bit, you learn obviously that you're going to have ebbs and flows. You're going to have a slump every once in a while, no matter if you're Albert Pujols or, or uh, Ken Griffey Jr. or whoever, um, you're going to go through these slumps. So, you know, obviously you're going to get that conversation from coaches and you're going to get that conversation from teammates and some approaches I think that I've seen where for myself, you know, if I was struggling at the plate, for instance, you know, putting the bat down and kind of giving a little bit of a break seemed to help me every once in a while. Cause sometimes when you're grinding, 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 you're constantly just maybe putting a little bit more pressure on yourself and you're constantly, you know, maybe not take a deep breath, just relax a little bit, step away from the batting cage and kind of give yourself a little bit of a mental break. And then you're a bit, you're, you're more fresh going into the next practice or the next set of reps and then your quality of performance in that week of practice is a lot better. And I've had other guys that just swung and swung and swung till they figured it out. You know, it, you're going to go through these trial and error periods. And sometimes you'll, oh, well, this works for this guy. I'm going to try that. And maybe it works for you. Or you say this works for this guy and you try it and it doesn't work. And that's the tough thing with sports sometimes. There isn't a cookie cutter approach where, okay, this is how, you know, my batting, look at Major League Baseball. There isn't one batting stance is the same how comfortable are you in the box and that's how you stand are you open stance close stance um, vertical or are you more spread out um, so you know being able to figure out uh, what works for you when you're going through that struggle is important and it takes time you know I didn't figure it out till late in my career and you try to throw everything against the wall and see what works um, so uh, maybe that approach where some people take you know a little bit of a break maybe take a week off or take a day or two off. It's tough to figure that stuff out. And some people, you know, they're back in the gym. I'm going to hit the weight still. I'm going to take, you know, another bucket of balls and that works for them as well. So figuring that out, I think is important um, as you go through youth sports and even as you get into high school and college. So uh, I don't know if there's a, uh, an exact answer, but I think everyone uh, has an answer for themselves, I would say. 
you know, Steve, you talk about like it's. Uh, it sounds like you're talking about self awareness and and the mental. Sure. Name. I, hear you, I hear you mentioned like, hey, you, you mentioned the mental piece of it like a couple of times already. Right. And I think that's something that doesn't get emphasized enough, not only in sports but in all areas of life. You know, so how important is, you know, like what in your book you talk about like Stan got self awareness and he just kept trying. How right. important is and, and keep trying means maybe taking a mental break, right? Giving yourself right. that doesn't mean you're giving up. But taking a break could be essential. So how important is it to, you know, take that mental space and also keep on going and and keep on trying? It's probably tougher nowadays than ever because there's so much out there to distract you, whether it's TV, a laptop, uh, cell phones are obviously there, social media. And it's I think it's important to kind of, you know, you got to spend some time. I say spend some time in your own thoughts, you know, spend some time with yourself and kind of figure out you know, what's going on upstairs a little bit, you know, whether it could be in school or whether it could be as an athlete or whether it can be in, in professional life. And I think sometimes people, and I caught myself doing it as well. Sometimes people avoid it, I think, because, you know, you kind of want uh, to seek an answer when pretty much it's kind of, it's in there somewhere. You just kind of have to uh, figure out what your situations were and go through that. But the mental approach, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, the old saying, if you're the super department building, you could use that motivation in that fire to, to heat the building or burn it down. Um, so you kind of have to figure out, uh, you know, how it works for you and how it doesn't. You know, with football, I think the approach is a little bit different than baseball and it depends on your sport. And I was victim of that, too. If I went into a game way too riled up, that didn't work. And if I was in a game and I was way too relaxed, that also didn't work. So I kind of had to find a, an even keel situation um, where that all played out. I saw my friend, a teammate of mine, posted something there. His name was Dakota Smith. There's a funny story with him because you talked about the mental side, Jason. We were in – I hope he's listening. Uh, we were in uh, – it was my senior year, his sophomore year, and uh, we had – a, the most important game of the season was a conference championship game and he was pitching and he was our guy for this big game. And he was a jovial, you know, kind of a goofball. But when he was on the mound, Jekyll and Hyde, he was, he was a bulldog out there and he was intense. And I love that. And so before the game, you know, you know, you're, you're getting your stuff ready and, you know, you're about to line up and go play ball. And he was, uh, you know, on one of the side fields and there's a game called two ball and he's playing two ball. It's like a little hand-eye coordination game. And he was, you know, really relaxed. And to me, at I was 21, 22, it looked like he was, you know, goofing around. Like we got the biggest game of our whole season. And I'm a senior and I'm thinking like, I'm not going out in our starting pitchers over here acting like it's nothing. And so I go to our catcher, Thomas Beckham. And um, I said, Thomas, man, Dakota's over here playing around like it's a scrimmage in the fall. And we got the biggest game against, you know, Austin Concordia here in about 20 minutes. I go, you need to go over there and tell him to get focused or I'm going to do it, you know? And he said, no, 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 no. Stop. So we talking about, he said, if he's in that mindset before the game, he's going to be great. Don't bother him. I said, you're kidding me. He said, I'm telling you, Steve, if you bother him and if you, you know, kind of get him out of that mindset, He's not going to pitch well. He has to be relaxed and just not focus too much. And in that moment, I kind of realized everybody's different. 
because I couldn't be like that. Not that you can't be relaxed, but he went out, pitched a gym, and we won. So from that moment on, I kind of realized everybody's uh, different when in their game prep. Some people were they're isolated. Some people are goofing around, and that was his approach. And some people, like myself, I'm just kind of, you know, a wallflower maybe in the locker room. But um, the mental approach before, after, and even, uh, I guess, coming to grips with um, – certain situations where you're doing well or not doing well, it all ties in way more. And, and I hope, and I think there is a trend where people are more focusing on the mental side of the game. Um, but uh, it's tremendously important, at least uh, in my opinion. You know, when you, you talk about Stan, Stan's going in the book, he's going through a slump, right? Yeah. He can't even like, he's striking out and he was like a really good hitter. Yeah. And you talk about things that maybe coaches can do in the book. You talk about the coaches like, Hey, Stan, it's like one of the, I think it was a playoff game or the first playoff yep. game, what it was. And he's like, Hey, we're, you're not going to play right now. We're not going to start. Right. You're not in the lineup. Okay. But right. I, I want, I want you to understand I'm giving you a breather. Just want you to relax. I want you ready for that next game. So I feel like you're putting pressure on yourself, but I'm going to have you as a pinch runner. We're going to put you right. as a pinch runner. And then all of a sudden right. he gets into the pinch runner and he gets on base. He hadn't been on base throughout kind of mm -hmm. year. And he, he's like, right. He's relaxed. He's excited. Yep. He's on base. Yep. He feels good. And then ends up scoring the winning run, right? Mm -hmm. And it gets yep. a little confidence going through just getting on the field with not pressure, maybe being, you know, at bats and striking out again. Mm -hmm. Is that things that maybe coaches can do to maybe lessen the role of an athlete and help them out to take the pressure off of them? Sure. Um, and you're right about the book, you know. Um, and that was situations that I experienced, you know, that kind of helped going through as a kid. And I think it helped me, you know, why I think sometimes the best coaches were former players, you know, is that they kind of know the psychological ups and downs of what you go through sometimes. So even in youth sports, you know, um, I was standing in a lot of ways cause I struggled at the plate and I went, you know, through, through ups and downs like that. And the best things that happened was where, you know, sure. If a coach feels that you needed a break or a game off, but also saying that, Hey, you know, you know, maybe if he's even a pinch hitter or if he's a pinch runner, you can easily, you know, flip a kid or even a, an adult's mentality of trying to put them in some kind of situation of success. Say, hey, you're not in the lineup today, but you're going to be involved in this game somehow. You know, it's even if you are involved in the game, you, you got a kid that's over three or for four. You still got to play defense. You know, you just miss a jump shot. They got the ball. What do you have to do? Are you just going to stand there, let them go down the other side of the court? You still got to play defense. Um, so it's definitely important, I think, uh, with that situation where if it's a pinch runner, the guy to kind of put a player or um, a kid that's in youth sports in a situation where, because that's kind of your job, I feel like, as a coach. If somebody's struggling, you know, you could work on drills all day, but, you know, when the lights are on, you know, that's a whole different ball game. You know, so try to put them in a situation in a game where you can hopefully um, kind of flip that switch as to where he hadn't been on base. And even if, you know, put him in as a pinch runner, these little, I guess you would call them small victories of a situation where, you know, it could be the easy spark to be a catalyst to get him out of a slump or her out of a slump or change everything. And, um, that recipe, I think, is different for all types of situations, obviously. But that happened to me sometimes where, you know, I was struggling at the plate and I was, you know, uh, uh, a little bit smaller, but I could run a little bit. And the coach is like, we're going to use you as a base runner. 
And next thing you know, you steal a bag. Next thing you know, you're round a third and then you're the hero all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And then next thing you go into the plate and you know, this, this different level of confidence is there. So I think that could happen uh, in a lot of sports, but it's those little things. I think you guys have probably learned um, maybe as a player first and then a coach uh, you kind of, plug and play with those types of things. But that's a tough part. You got to figure out who needs what, when and where. Um, and it's not always that black and white, but uh, you surprise yourself sometimes. You, you make yourself seem smarter than you are when you do stuff like that. Uh, but it's helpful, I think, to kind of put them in situations to kind of uh, change their mentality with little stuff that maybe they didn't expect either. Well, and to give Stan credit, Stan was ready whenever the coach told him, hey, I don't know when you're yeah. going in. Right. And when he got on that base, he was like, boom, and he scored the winning run. So, like, the importance of, like, like a bullpen catcher, right, or a backup quarterback, mm -hmm. you may know not know when you're going to go in the game, but it's important for you to be ready when your name is called. So how can we how can we teach athletes to be ready, even though you may not get what you want, like it's to start or it's to play a lot, but taking advantage of the opportunities given to you and not let them pass by by not being ready. Right. And, and sometimes um... – we're all kind of our own worst enemies sometimes as youth athletes because you don't want to get complacent. You know, sometimes maybe the bigger guy's starting and they're like, well, I'm never going to see the field. You know, why should I, you know, be giving everything I could at practice? But the coaches are evaluating all of this. Like practice just isn't something you walk through. We're seeing who's and maybe even that starter is one of those things where he gets comfortable as well. And you never want to get complacent if you're even on the starting field because that's when those switches happen where um one guy might be trying harder than the other and obviously you know when you get plugged into a game how common are injuries in sports they happen every day all the time so you have to be ready or else you know if you're not ready somebody else will be is uh, i guess the way i put it you know somebody out there and they you know whether you're texas a&m or penn state or uh, usc um and i've had these conversations with athletes when i work at the university was that sometimes they get complacent i'm telling you you're at a big score, even a little league team. There's somebody that's on that bench that would die for your position. They would be willing to do whatever it takes. And if you take one day off, somebody's going to take that day on. And next thing you know, those spots are reversed. So you can't take practice lightly. It's sometimes you, you get complacent and you don't see uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. You just see a tunnel. It's just it's an ever going tunnel. There's no light for me to play. And those are kind of the, the kids that maybe either quit or drop out. But. You're also making the guy in front of you better. You know, if you're trying hard, that guy's going to get better as well. Um, so you got to take every practice. And it's tough sometimes to say, okay, well, I'm not in the lineup today. Um, but evaluate. Why am I not in the lineup? Is it because my hitting is consistent? Is my jump shot percentage down? Am I not hustling all the time? Do I understand the plays? You know, you can be the greatest athlete in the world. If you don't understand when and where to be, um, at the right time. And I know play calling is big in basketball and obviously football. You have to know the situational side of the sport um, because there's tremendous value in that and instinct. That's something you can't necessarily teach. It just comes with experience. And that probably comes later in high school and college. Um, so you, you, you can't take days off um, if, even if you're the starter or, or a backup. So um, it's tough because, you know, you're looking at the roster every day, but self-evaluate and see why you're not in the roster. And uh, I'd be willing to bet things change after that. Hey, prime example of that is last night, Dernis Johnson. Think about Cleveland Brown. Yeah. 
You got Chubb going down. You got Hunt going down. He's ready. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the thing of him is out of South Florida, he had a bad pro day, didn't get drafted. Right. He works on a mahi-mahi boat, <laughs> right, right in the Keys. He could eat as much mahi-mahi as he wants in Cleveland right now. Good for you. I mean, he can get it for free, right? Yeah. But I, but I bring that up because you mentioned being ready, but in the book you give an example of like a professional athlete, like the Hawk, right? And yeah. Stan looks up to Hawk and he's a right. legend. But I think a lot of youth and a lot of people, they look at these athletes like Dernus Johnson, you look at them and think, oh, well, they never had challenges. They never had difficulties they went through. But if you really study a lot of these successful athletes, they've had their challenges, right? Mm -hmm. That they've had to persevere and get through. Right. So like telling like youth athletes, like there's so many examples of people that maybe didn't get what they want when they wanted it. They stayed with it and now they're succeeding today, right? Right. You know, I don't think, you know, the saying goes, I don't think success is a paved road. You know, I don't think it's smooth getting there. You're going to go up and down and hit bumps. Um, but I was, you know, the same thing. You're like, oh, man, you know, um, you see these, these, you know, Derek Jeters of the world and all these guys were, oh, they were just, you know, great from the get go. And, and I remember stories about him was he struggled tremendously in the minor leagues. Um, you wouldn't look at that if you look at his career numbers now, but um it's sometimes uh, it's very easy to look at the big star on TV and be like, oh, this guy, he's there because he was always, you know, six foot four, 220 pounds and hitting the ball 400 feet. Um, and it wasn't always in. I think we talked about Altuve. I think he went to two or three tryouts and they just kind of pushed him to the side because they looked at him and like, oh, you know, you're not really what we're looking for. And he, he could have said, you know what, here's all my baseball stuff. I'm done with that and I'm going to go find a regular job. And he didn't, he, all right, well, I'm gonna come back next year. And then what, what am I not good at? Okay. I'm going to work on that. And he came back and he's a former MVP and um, you know, he's helped the team a lot. So it's, it's, I think it's good to have role models and guys to look up to because in the sports world, because you want to have some motivation and drive, you know, you want to be like, Hey, maybe I could be like that guy someday. And that's true. I think we all had those athletes that we looked up to. Um, but it's also, you know, difficult sometimes to fall into the trap of looking at them like they never went through something difficult. Cause I guarantee every single one of them will tell you different. Uh, so you're right. What, what can you do say as parents? Because I know in the, in the book, you talk about Stan struggling and the parents are trying to pick him up and try and encourage him. And you look at individuals like, for example, Daryl Williams is running back from the Kansas City chiefs. Mm -hmm. He came out of LSU. He didn't get drafted. His mom right. was crying at this point because she knew that was a dream of his. And he's, he's stayed with it. And, of course, he's starting for the Chiefs now. But what can parents do to encourage their children <clears throat> to stay with it, to reestablish the belief in themselves when they maybe other people don't believe in them that are that are around them? Um, well, I guess it's important. Number one, I'm not a parent yet, so I'm, I'm definitely not going to, you know, I try my best not to put myself in those shoes, but I, I guess I can speak to what helped me as a kid. Um, what, what my dad did was, you know, we, what we just talked about was, you know, you, you could always tell him, Hey, stick with it and, you know, keep trying hard. But what helped me was when I heard stories about, you know, his youth or stories about other athletes that he knew saying, you're not, you're not the only one that's experienced stuff like this. And, you know, then you start, you know, watching, you know, I know documentaries are big, but if parents can kind of, you know, obviously you're, you want to be um, supportive and you want to be, you know, 
uh, always have their back and be positive. And that's, that's very important. But for what helped me was that, you know, um, sometimes if, if, if it's only that, sometimes it can become white noise, you know, or, okay, yeah, I know, keep your head up, keep swing away and all that type of stuff. But if you kind of be able to look into society or look on to the, whatever sport you like and see a guy who you can relate to and you know the background, like, hey, so-and-so, you know, and you hear him, I think what's the good thing about media is that you hear these athletes do, you know, interviews like this. And I'm addicted to that kind of stuff. I like hearing interviews when guys talk about their childhood and their youth, whether they're, you know, were the Michael Jordan. There's obviously the famous stories about him and other athletes. Um, and that helped me as a kid where, you know, parent could relate to say if it's a book or if it's, you know, some kind of TV show or documentary where, you know, you're not the only one, obviously, that's gone through this. And if this person went through it and they did it, you just kind of have to find whatever your rhyme or reason is. Um, to not give up because there's thousands of, and that's not just for sports. That's the business world. How many small businesses do people fail out before they finally get the right idea? You know, it goes through marketing and there's all types of restaurant businesses and professional chefs and book writers. And a lot of times they just get pushed to the side. Like, ah, we don't really like this right now. Somebody else looks at it and say, you know what? I think this, this might work. And there's benefit in all those stories. So for me, you know, sure. Positive reinforcement was great, but, when I would hear stuff about, you know, growing up with other athletes and other guys that were struggling and other parents as well, I think it's helpful when I would get, you know, sometimes if you're only getting it from your parents, if you got another parent or another friend, you know, that's just reinforcement that's very helpful. So kind of relate their situation. What helped me was seeing relatable situations in, in society with other athletes or other uh, things they experienced. Um, that helped me a lot. So you kind of say, you know what, I guess, you know, um, I'm not the only one that experienced this and, and maybe I could pull through if I try hard enough. What about the other part is teammates. And I know you have in the book, you got where it's uh, Stan's buddy, right? And you got Rudy. Right. Rudy. And Rudy's doing well. He's playing well. Yeah. He's having success. Stan's not. And he tries to encourage Stan. Hey, today's going to be your breakthrough day. Today you're right. going to be out of slump and he doesn't. Well, yep. What are things that teammates that you've seen, you being a teammate, and seeing players that are really good teammates, what have they done that have been effective to help individuals to build that confidence back in themselves to stay, you help them to be able to stay with it? It's important to have a hype man sometimes. You know, you got to have that guy in your corner. You look at boxers when they go sit in the corner, they just had a bad round. You got the guy telling them, listen, you got to do this, this, and this, and all you got to do, you'll be back on your feet. Um, so teammates, you know, I think why they're good in sports is that they're going to be honest. If you're chasing a pitch that you shouldn't be, or if you're throwing interceptions, the best teammates are the honest teammates. And I think the best coaches are the honest coaches where, you know, you're being straight with them. You're not there to hurt their feelings or anything, but you can't sugarcoat stuff if you truly want your athletes or, or kids probably to improve. Um, and I had teammates that were honest with me and teammates that kind of, you know, uh, that hyped me up. And I kind of felt like I did that too. You know, when my teammate was doing well, um, we all do well in a situation or if my teammate is struggling, you know, I don't want him to be struggling. So I think having a hype man in your corner there is important to kind of, you know, help you remember that, Hey, this is just, you know, a small sample size of maybe you're struggling um, to try and be in that uh, guy or girl's corner um, playing softball or volleyball, whatever that stuff is real, man. Cause when you're, 
you're kind of your own worst enemy a lot of times when you're looking around and you're thinking like you're in your own head and you're you're not making the plays you want to do and sometimes you have that buddy where you know he's in your locker before the game and he's just hyping you up he's being confident and and, and positive and you realize like yeah you know okay um i lost my way for the last couple games or whatnot but um that was something i think i tied in um where i remember some teammates helping me with that and you know what was good with it was um when i was in junior college we had a lot of uh uh you know uh teammates from latin america and they were big on that they were always you know very passionate and very um you know uh vocal and that type of thing and it was very different from the american baseball that i saw and i think i tried to tie that in as well and they were passionate good or bad which is what i remember a lot but um so you take you take both but i remember seeing that i was like you know and they love the sport because it does tremendous things for them you know in the future like a lot of us it gives them great opportunity and, and for us here as well so to have a decent hype man because sometimes even you're in your own head as a hype man you hype yourself up and you want to be confident but um to have a good teammate um i think it's undervalued sometimes and uh hopefully rudy did an okay job well steve you know uh we thank you for coming on our show today man and we always end the show with the four questions with 40 athletes where we lightning round where we get you going getting some uh final insights from our guests okay. so the first one is this what is the best life lesson that sports has taught you uh uh i think so I might have been asked that once before. That's a good question, though. Um, I think you get a lot of advice. You know, some fits, some doesn't. Um, and it makes me think of, I don't even know if it was advice. I got benched once in junior college, my freshman year. And we had a, I was a freshman and we had a sophomore shortstop that that um, wasn't a part of the team anymore. And I got thrown in the deep end and there with a bunch of sophomores that were from all around the world, Australians and Canadians and, and all these guys. And they were all bigger than me. And, and, you know, I got a little comfortable. It's like, well, I'm the starter now. There's no backup, you know, I could, you know, and you know, it doesn't really matter how I perform, I guess. And I was struggling at the plate a little bit and I hit a little jam shot to the pitcher. And I forget we're in Odessa or something. And I didn't run it out. I didn't even make it halfway down the line. I peeled off of the dugout and, out and there was nothing said to me and coach Vandenberg and coach Hall, they're, they're coaches at um, uh, West Texas A&M together. Now uh, Matt Vandenberg's the head coach, shout out Matt Vandenberg and coach Hall. They yanked me right away and they didn't have to say anything. I knew exactly why I got yanked out of the game and I should have 100% should have got benched for that. And never again, never again. And that's all the kind of messages you need to send. If something you got to nip it in the bud real quick, and I 100% deserve to be benched. So the advice in that situation was you're replaceable. You're 100%. We'll find somebody to play if you don't want to. If you don't want to hustle, if you don't want to do the small things, and that goes with work, that goes with life. And so that piece of advice was, you know, I don't know who you think you are, but you're not who you think you are, at least not yet. Um, so you need to play hard or go to work hard every day or uh, somebody else is going to be in your spot. So that was my advice. Um, I think it was at 2004, I think. So that was a good one. Clarendon College in yeah. Amarillo. You know, sometimes not coach is not saying anything. Like it's the biggest message, right? You know, so. yeah. And it was, it was, you know, it was a decision. It wasn't even anything said. It was just next thing I know, there was a line through my name the next <laughs> inning, and I grabbed my glove and I was like, wait a second, there's somebody out there already. And yeah, somebody yeah. else was there. So I learned that lesson. 
Uh, number two, if you could spend time with anyone you admire in sports, passed away, alive, fictional, non-fictional, who would it be and why? Uh, my guy was Cal Ripken Jr. Uh, growing up. He was, you know, probably the thing I fell into was I wanted to be the big, tall, shortstop that hit home runs. And he was kind of the first of his generation, 6'4". He won a home run derby in Toronto, I think, rookie of the year. Um, and all he hit 400 home runs. So I'm always in the backyard hitting wiffle balls and stuff like, and I wasn't that guy, you know, I was, uh, you know, like I said earlier, David Eckstein, I had to play good defense and hustle. I'm never going to hit home runs like that, but there's value in me. So I got to see him play. I think it was 2001. I think his last year in Camden yards, uh, my sister got me tickets and we saw them play Boston and there was a rain out in the middle of the game. And so we got to move closer and I got there during his last year. And that was pretty cool. So if I could ever uh, finally get an autograph and pick his brain about some stuff, um, that would be, that would be probably a dream come true for sure. Cal was my guy, hundred percent. You think about that, like you wanted to be as big as he was, you wanted to hit the home runs and sometimes kids physically, they're not going to be able to do that. Right. But right. you can, you can model his work ethic, the sure. Iron Man showing up, giving his best, which that's who he was. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what I liked. I liked the guy that was, you know, blue collar, you know, he was showing up every day, you know, I might be beat up a little bit here, but it's going to take a lot more than that to come out of the lineup. And, you know, a dirty uniform is what I kind of always strive for. If it wasn't on the field or at the plate, I was going to make a contribution somehow, but you're right. I mean, obviously he has the, the games played record and he added like 600 to it or something like that. Um, so that's something, you know, where you kind of have to find your value. You know, I want to show up every day. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to make value of myself uh, no matter what. But um, you figure out you're not going to be 6'4 sooner or later. And and um, and I think the, the worst thing for me was that every time he changed his stance, I did. You know, so I was hands up, hands back, and you play the violin. You're doing all these things. And I'm sure my dad was pulling his hair out. But uh, so try to pick an athlete with the one stance for baseball guys out there, not not – a man of a thousand stances, but he was right. I'm, You're right. I'm going to get into the third question, but I want to say this. I was in college. I played baseball and had this uh, friend of mine. Yeah, again, he used to watch like baseball all the time. So he'd see Nolan right. Ryan. He'd sure. see the next. He'd see like all, like all these different pitchers. And he'd come into practice and he'd have a new like pitching motion. And the coach was like, what the heck are you yeah. doing? Yeah. Like, every yeah. practice. He's like, can you please just be consistent and stay with something yeah. that I'm telling you that works? So anyway. Yeah. It's, as long as, you know, trying new things is good and it probably can be a double-edged sword, you know? So I'm sure my dad was like, okay, what, you know, he was probably hoping that, you know, Cal would probably have a good streak where he kept a, a stance for about more than two weeks. But uh, yeah, he's my guy. So um that would be my that would be my answer for sure. Yeah, question always, three, uh, question I was three, say, I, was, I would always uh, imitate Griffey, even though I was right-handed. Though, like you know, Griffey's stance, like the sweet yeah. swing. I was like, man, my swing doesn't look like that. But yeah, I still and had I was, that little bad wiggle, you know. Even in even in Houston, I was growing up. I was Jeff Bagwell, you know. So everybody's, you know, you're you're like you're doing a karate kid stance practically with, your, squat, with your legs yeah. so far apart. You know, it's you're doing, and that's fun. But I recommend that when you're a kid, go out there, have fun, do different stuff with your friends and and do that kind of stuff but yeah depending on your your area it's probably depends on whose stance you're mimicking for sure yeah. question number three is what is the best advice you've ever received from a coach you've worked for or played for um i guess i would say you know 
uh, kind of be yourself, I guess, you know, sometimes you kind of mimic, you know, I want to play like this guy. I want to play like that guy. And I think it takes away from your game sometime. And I was a little bit more on the fiery side, you know, where I was, you know, my teammates probably chuckled sometimes where I was a little vocal in the dugout. It was positive, I promise, you know, and it was never that type of thing, but that's what helped my game. And some people were more cerebral and some people, you know, they're, they're more of the, the gentle giant approach. Um, and you kind of figure that out, you know, uh, that it's, it's not a cookie cutter thing. You can't necessarily just, this works for this guy. So I'm going to do that. You figure out what works for yourself, figure out what, you know, what your value is um, on the field and even off the field. So once you kind of figure out uh, through the years, and I don't think I really was there until maybe late high school, early college, where you kind of figure out, okay, this is, you know, it's okay to kind of play your own game. So uh, don't try to be anything you're not. If you're a fiery guy, be a fiery guy. You know, if you're a calmer guy, you know, take that approach. So whatever your game is, whatever your, whatever your traits are, uh, stay true to that, and I think it'll take you uh, further than if you didn't. Like that. Well, let's see. Uh, the final question is: If you could have just one character trait <clears throat> or life skill that you could have in an athlete that was playing for your baseball team or somebody <clears throat> that was working for you, what would it be? I'm probably preferential. Um, I like guys with fire. I know I just mentioned that, but when guys are really passionate about it, when they bring a little bit of um, you know fire. To me, that says they care. Number one, they're they're interested in improving themselves and also contributing to the team. Um, and it's you know it's they're going to you're going to see that effort from them in the game, but not only that in practice. And they care about being on the field, and you know that's the type of energy I think that with baseball it's tough sometimes because there's a lot of downtime. You know, you're standing on the field, you're in the dugout, then there's a change. Maybe there's a pitching change. There's a foul ball. And, you know, so that's tough sometimes. Um, so it's not exactly hockey or, or football, but, you know, what worked for me. And, and I think um, sometimes, the, and that's the other thing, the guys with fire, sometimes you got to, you got to reel them in a little bit. Sometimes they're a little bit too much. And I'm sure that happened to me. Uh, but uh if a, if a kid has fire, a little bit of passion in him, I know he cares. I know he's going to come every day. He's going to listen. He's going to want to get better. And I think it's contagious, you know, with that type of stuff. You see a kid like that, even if he's not, you know, uh, the most talented, I'd rather have the kid that, you know, wasn't the stud per se, but was out there busting it every time rather than maybe the one that's super talented that kind of has a history of, you know, taking plays off. Um, I'd rather have the scrappy guy, um, that's going to come out there with a little bit of fire and, and change the pace of the game and maybe even the environment on the team. Um, so hopefully we get some more of those guys too. Yeah, Steve, you know, it's uh, there was a quote, you know, uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard or something like that. Right. that Kevin Durant right. quote, I think something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Steve, man, how can uh, people, you know, first of all, find swing way stand, how can they reach out to you, learn more about uh, you and, and your book? Uh, the easiest way, I guess, a simple Google search if you punch in my name that I saw. Um, I think I'm on most every social media platform. Um, don't expect to have your hair blown back. I'm not extremely active on it. Um, I can't get my hair there. to blow back, Steve. Well, <laughs> yeah. If, if, I, if you actually, if I get on there and you get me to grow hair, I mean, well, that would actually you know, be a heck of a deal, don't too. Don't challenge man. me with a good time. I might mail you some other stuff. But uh -oh. the, uh, the uh, uh, Amazon, it's on Amazon. Uh, 
even if you just regular search Amazon, you can find the book on Amazon books, just swing away stand or just punch in my name. Um, I've seen both come up and uh, you, know, you can find me on, uh, I guess, Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter and that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's been great. I appreciate you guys uh, reaching out and doing this and it's been helpful and check out the book if you want. Uh, I think it could be good for, uh, you know, ages around 10 and uh, all the feedback is, is welcome. I appreciate it. I'll tell it. you what though, Steve, I, I have to say not just 10 because you give yourself a little credit. Like mm -hmm. I'm a parent and I would recommend parents to purchase this seriously. Cause I have an eight year old. And I was reading it with my five year old. Mm -hmm. okay down with him and he was getting into it so like that because he likes baseball and things like that so if you're a parent and you have a child and you want a book to read at night to go through with them or they just they're readers i would get this because it's going to help them with resiliency help them to stay with it kind of be able to relate with somebody that's struggling with you sports this is an excellent book so i encourage people awesome. to go get it yeah. thank you very much i appreciate that well steve uh you know thank you for joining us today and uh, we'll be in touch with you soon man no problem. Go Astros. Oh, no. Gosh, thanks. Jeez, God, geez, man. Well, they game, are in it right game now. Tonight, I, can't man. Go, I can't say go Royals, so, I mean. Well, yeah. Next year, right? Next go Cardinal, year. So. I know. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. Have a good one, Steve. See you. I right. appreciate it, guys. Bye. Thank you. Well, Jim, Angela Duckworth's research on grit has shown that get, never giving up is the number one predictor of success. And we at 40 Athletes spent a whole week showing people and giving strategies on how they can develop grit. And not just reading uh, Steve's book, but also the application of it as well. So, Jimmy, where can people go to find more about find out more about 40 Athletes? Yeah, they can go to 40athletes.com. And, again, they can purchase it right there. But if you have a, a team, an organization, and you want to find out more how we can partner with you to help in kind of still life skills and character traits to help your athletes succeed in and out of sport, um, you can do a discovery call and – we can kind of walk through how we can, uh, you know, partner with you. Yeah. And that's, again, that's 4dathletes.com. Click the discovery uh, book a call now button and uh, look forward to working with more coaches like Steve in the future. Oh, Jimmy. Yeah. Like you said, it is a great book and uh, you know, it's, you gotta give people credit. You know, it's uh, something that even my eight month, eight year old and six year old niece and nephew are diving into. So, well, the good thing I know today, the rest of the day, you're going to swing away, Jason. So Swing away, man. Hey, and even if you strike out, you just keep swinging, right? Keep swinging. Yeah. All right, Jimmy. Well, hey, enjoy your Friday uh, as we roll into the weekend. Sounds good. You as well, Jason. Yeah.